Hey folks, Andy the Taxman here. Now over the last 11 months, I've gotten tremendous and positive feedback, emails, ratings, and reviews from many listeners of the show, and I wanted to share a couple of those with you today. Uh, I was left a five-star review from Wrestling With The Truth on Good Pods, and they said, five stars, the Taxman is quickly becoming one of Canada's best wrestling historians, thanks to the work that he puts in into every episode. While I'll never put myself over as one of Canada's best wrestling historians, I hope to get there one day, and I appreciate the kind words from Wrestling With The Truth. I had a very nice note left on Twitter uh, from at Jimmy Adig. He says, good stuff, at six underscore podcast, the Twitter handle for the show. Loving Grappling With Canada. The episode of Gama Singh was amazing. Canada does not get enough credit in wrestling. I like the series, bro. You're giving good historical facts. I appreciate that, Jimmy. And I try very, very hard to uh, include as many truthful and factual accounts as uh, as I possibly can in every episode. So I appreciate the sentiment. I was left another five-star review on Podchaser, this one from BC Hunter. He says, Andy is one of the best wrestling historians that Canada has to offer. All episodes are must-listen for any Canadian wrestling fan or wrestling fan in general. And I appreciate that because, as everybody knows, this show is not just about Canadian wrestling, but also about wrestling history and what Canada does mean to the rest of the world uh, in the grand scheme of things. Which brings me to my last one that I want to read to you all right now. So this one came from... Fireside Canada, a tremendous podcast as well. I hope everybody goes and checks that out. Uh, this was left on Podchaser as well. He said, five stars. My knowledge of wrestling doesn't go much further than childhood favorites like Jake the Snake and Junkyard Dog. And in brackets, he says, and now you can guess my age. Nevertheless, I'm captivated by people talking about their passions. And as I listened, I found myself sharing the excitement about an athlete I had never heard of. Next thing I know, I'm watching a 50-year-old TV broadcast of Gene Kaneski battling Japan's giant Baba, observing the otherwise reserved crowd throwing garbage into the ring, and marveling at Kaneski's talent for being a quote-unquote heel. Enthusiastic, educational, and slightly nostalgic. Give it a listen. And that's really what I'm going for here. A show that appeals to everybody, whether you're a history fan, whether you like Canada, whether you like professional wrestling, whether you just like human interest stories. And that's what I try and bring to you guys every month. I'm incredibly proud of producing a program that features a lot of history, a lot of personal experiences, and a lot of personal stories that appeal to a wide range of people, regardless of just wrestling fans, if you will. And quite frankly, you're going to hear stories on this show that you're never going to hear anywhere else. And isn't that really why we're all here? To learn something? I'm asking for everybody's help right now to keep all of this going. This program takes an exorbitant amount of time physically to produce every month a uh, little behind the scenes look uh, each episode takes me roughly between 30 and 50 total hours to produce research coordinate guests etc etc there's also a financial responsibility that i have towards the show so this is the perfect time now to help me out and to help produce further episodes and further seasons of grappling with canada if you look at the link tree link in your show notes, you'll find various ways that you can donate to the podcast. You can choose $5 options and increments on buymeacoffee.com slash grappling. You'll also find a link to my PayPal account uh, where I would 
ask if you are able to to donate to the program. And also, if you're listening to this on GoodPods, there is the tip jar function where you can also donate to the program. All of that will continue to help this program grow, to help me out with the research towards the program, and to help provide more in-depth discussion and in-depth historical research on this program that we all love. And for me to continue to provide what I think is a great look into the personal lives of some of the most influential people, not just in Canadian wrestling, not just in wrestling in general, but in Canadian history as well. So once again, I'm asking for your support. Uh, Click the link in your show notes for various ways to uh, contribute to the show. And as such, uh, if you do contribute to the show, I'll make sure that I give you a shout out in the next month's episode. So once again, use the Linktree link in this month's show notes to see particular ways on how you can donate to the show. And I really appreciate it in advance, and I look forward to uh, chatting with all of you in regards to that. So thank you for your time, and let's get into today's podcast. Patterson intentionally shoved Dibiase into the referee. He did, and the referee stopped out right now, and uh, I don't know, let's see what's going to happen now, because there's no referee really in the ring, you might say. Patterson going down in the tight. Patterson, Patterson has something around his, what is that? Breast knuckles, man, he's got something like breast knuckles. And wow. Patterson, white legs, Pat Dibiase. considered one of the greatest in-ring performers of all time. He's also considered one of the greatest wrestling minds of all time. Today, we look at the incredible life and the incredible legacy left behind as we remember one of wrestling's greats and one of Canadian history's greats, the incomparable Pat Patterson. Hello everyone and welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to, but more specifically, welcome to the season one finale of Grappling with Canada. As usual, as it has been throughout the entirety of season one, I'm your host, The Taxman. And as you've come to expect, today's episode is going to be a masterclass in some information, in some Canadian history, some Canadian wrestling history, and wrestling history in general. And I cannot wait to get into all of that with you guys tonight. But first, before we get into all that, this is the season one finale. And honestly, this season has been absolutely mind-blowing for me in terms of the reception 
that you guys have given it. Thank you to everyone who's been listening to the program. I think we now have been heard in over 60 countries worldwide, which is absolutely incredible. So thank you. Thank each and every one of you, more specifically, for checking out the program, for passing it along to your friends. And that's something I'm going to ask you again to do today. So while you're listening to this program, you're probably on your cellular device or on a computer or in some kind of interweb connected technology, let your friends and family know that you're listening to Grappling with Canada. I have an absolutely incredible episode for you guys to hear tonight uh, that I'm sure is going to, let's say, change some perspectives, if you will, in terms to our subject matter. And that's something that uh, we've been doing, quite frankly, all season long. So why would we stop now? It's been working. And once again, the response from you guys has been absolutely incredible. So thank you, everybody, for checking out the program. Speaking of which, if this is your first time checking out the program, welcome. I would highly suggest that you go through the back catalog of the first 11 episodes of Season 1. There you'll find episodes on such people as Stu Hart, Dino Bravo, Gail Kim, Billy Two Rivers, Gene Kaniski, all the way up to our last month's episode on the Monster Ripper Rhonda Singh, which was a fantastic episode. And if you have not listened to that one, boy, oh boy, you're missing out. So don't hit the pause button on this one. However, after you've done this episode, I would highly suggest that you go back in the archives and check out any of the ones that you have yet to listen to. Uh, specifically, especially that Billy Two Rivers episode. I'm telling you, if you have not listened to that one as well, you are in for a massive treat. So once again, if this is your first time to the program, welcome. Please go through the back catalog. And as well, like I said, please share this program with your friends and family. It would mean, truly mean a lot to myself. Once again, you can uh, find us on any podcasting platform of your choice, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, uh, Good Pods, basically wherever you buy, sell, trade, barter, or steal your favorite podcasts is exactly where you can find us. Make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button. As well, if you're able to on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, please leave us a five-star rating and written review. And if you do that, then I will make sure that I read it on the next available episode. Uh, A couple of those I'm going to be reading later on in this episode because some people were very gracious to leave me some five-star reviews. As usual, the least I can do is to read those on the next available program, which I'm going to do uh, later on in this one. You can find us on Twitter at 6 underscore podcast. You can find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash C slash six-sided podcast. Even if you listen to this program on your various podcasting platforms of choice, if you can go ahead and subscribe to the YouTube channel, I would very highly appreciate that. We are slowly crawling our way to 1,000 subscribers, so uh, just any any little bit helps. So if you guys can go ahead and subscribe on YouTube, it would mean so much to me as well. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook group, Grappling with Canada. Come on in and join the group. Of note, On the Facebook group, I will always put the next month's episode a week early so you know who it's going to be on. Therefore, you can ask any questions or ask for any clarifications before 
you are able to hear the program. Essentially gives you a leg up on the competition, if you will. So once again, use that group's search bar on uh, Facebook and search Grappling with Canada. Come in and join the group. Uh, as well, you can come and like the Grappling with Canada Facebook page. Once again, use that Facebook pages search bar. Search Grappling with Canada. Come on and give that page a like as well. It would mean so much to me. I want to make mention as well, our Threadless store is coming along very nicely. And thank you to everybody who's been making purchases. And especially thank you to everybody who took advantage of the Black Friday sale. If you missed out on the sale, don't fret. Because I'm sure if you're listening to this program right now, there's probably some kind of sale going on as we speak. So, very simply, grapplingwithcanada.threadless.com is where you can pick up some merchandise for this uh, program of note all sales of the classic rest grappling with canada wrestling logo t-shirt are being donated to the children's hospital charity here in winnipeg manitoba so go ahead and pick up a shirt it's going to a fantastic cause and uh let me know on uh, social media when you uh purchase a shirt uh if you you know, get, get, send me a picture of you wearing one or whatever. I'll be sure to uh, repost it uh, via Twitter or on the Facebook group as well. Or if you're in the Facebook group, naturally, you could uh, put that up there yourself. And, uh, and it would be a lot of fun to see anyways. Also want to make mention, there's a few ways that you can support this podcast. Honestly, your support is... Uh, would be greatly appreciated and is needed as we kind of progress into Season 2. Once again, something that I'm going to be talking about a little bit later in this program. So, uh, three very simple ways you could do that. You can find all of these on our link tree in the bio of any description of this program. Uh, whether that's on uh, YouTube, on Twitter, or on Instagram. Instagram.com slash grapplingwithcanada. Uh, you can find ways to donate to the program, which helps me immensely with the research and procurement of uh, of same to make these programs. So uh, three very simple ways. There is a PayPal direct donation button that you can click on. Uh, you can also donate on buymeacoffee.com slash grappling. And you can also uh, use the tip jar function on Good Pods. Anything that you guys uh, donate to the program would be very much appreciated and it uh, will all help uh, me make this program as good as I can. And uh, that would be very much appreciated. And honestly, anything that, you know, is derived from the t-shirt sales and all that goes back right back into this program as well. So any help from you guys would be greatly appreciated. So once again, check out the uh, link tree link in the bio or description wherever you are finding this program and uh, you will find some ways to help support the show and help support me uh, kind of making this show progress in season two because I got a lot of fantastic ideas it's going to be a lot of work but it's going to be a lot of fun and we are going to be opening up a lot more eyes to not only Canada not only Canada's contribution to wrestling history but Canadian history as well and naturally uh, professional wrestling history. So we kind of are covering all the bases as we usually do with this program. Now, the reason that we are all here tonight to discuss the life and legacy 
of Pat Patterson. And I can think of no better way to kickstart this program with a little classic Pat Patterson audio. So I'm going to play a promo clip from Pat Patterson. And on the other side, we are going to kick this thing off right. Please enjoy. Wrestling spectacular. There'll be some 22 outstanding professional wrestlers, including handsome Jimmy Valiant meeting the eighth wonder of the world in Andre the Giant. Scheduled as well, four of the outstanding mighty midget wrestlers in the card. Ivan Putsky, anyone who's anything in professional wrestling will appear on this wrestling spectacular on the 27th of August, including wrestling's living legend Bruno Sammartino, Looking forward with great relish to locking up with 317-pound Nikolai Volkov. Likewise, chomping at the bit to once again re-enter the squared circle of Madison Square Garden is the North American heavyweight champion Pat Patterson, who once again clashes in the return match with Bob Back. With that in mind, let's bring on Pat Patterson now, along with his manager, the Grand Wizard of Wrestling. Listen, I don't want to waste my time talking to you. Backman, I hope you're listening. You know, ever since you've been champion, you've faced some of the toughest and the strongest wrestlers in the world today, and you've beat all of them. This is one twice, and you can't beat me, Backlund, and you know that you can't beat me. And the last time that I stepped in the ring with you, your manager saved the championship for you. Well, this is only the beginning. You put 14 stitches in my head, and nobody but nobody does that to me and gets away with it. Have I got a surprise for you, Backman? I said I was going to win the North American Championship belt, and I did it. And I'm telling you to your face, I am going to take your belt away from you. This is the time. This is the moment. I am ready, and I'm telling you to your face, I'm taking that belt away from you. And I know you are scared. I know your manager is scared. I know Vince McMahon is afraid. I know all the promoters is afraid because I'm going to take the belt away from you. And I promise you, Backlund, when I beat you, you'll never wrestle again because I'm going to cripple you. I am sick and tired of being pushed around. I am the best, and I'll prove it to you. Pierre Clermont was born January 19, 1941, in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. He was most known for his incredible professional wrestling career including being one half of one of the most influential tag teams of all time, the Blonde Bombers, as well as being one of the most influential, most important, and most spectacular creative minds in all the professional wrestling history, including being the person behind the creation of, honestly, one of WWE's marquee events uh, each and every year, the Royal Rumble. But more importantly than that, he was also known as one of the most important creative minds in terms of how matches were constructed and how finishes were were figured out for wrestling matches. And I mean, honestly, I could go on for probably four or five hours, you know, territory by territory, what what Pat was doing in Montreal, what he ended up doing in Boston, what he did uh, in the West Coast of uh, of America in San Francisco. But in all honesty, there are probably a multitude of, of programs that cover that kind of topic. And, and really, 
that's not what today's episode is about. And the funny thing about doing Grappling with Canada, and this is kind of something that is, as I've gone through Season 1, and certainly as I've been noticing with Season 2, is you can format a story, you can figure out what you want to talk about in terms of the individual that you're going to be covering, but sometimes the story of that person takes you in a completely different direction, and that is exactly what is going to be happening tonight. As we're going to really kind of divulge ourselves of the wrestling career, of the night in, night out, how many matches did he have, where did he have them, who did he have them with, all that kind of minutia. I don't think, as much as it's obviously important to the legacy of Pat Patterson, I think what's much more important for people to understand for the legacy of Pat Patterson, for his his fans across the world to really understand it is is who he was as a person. And the more I did the research for for the Pat Patterson episode that I'm bringing to you guys today, yes, I had a ton of respect for what he brought to professional wrestling, as I'm sure anybody listening to this program has you know, obviously the highest uh, order of respect for him. But as I went through the research, the Pat Patterson story to me became less and less about professional wrestling and more and more about Pat Patterson, the man himself. And what I came to realize at the end of it all is he was much more impressive as a person than just the man who created the Royal Rumble, the man who was responsible for some of the greatest finishes in professional wrestling history, the man who was part of some of the greatest matches and some of the biggest sellouts in professional wrestling history. That's all well and good. And it is a story that needs to be talked about. But I don't think that today that story is the one that we're going to share. Today we're going to be sharing much more, like I said, about Pat Patterson, the man. And again, this is something that a lot of quote-unquote, and I'm sorry that I'm going to go on a tangent here real quick before we kind of jump real deep into the program today, but this is also something that I've noticed in my research throughout the program is how Pat Patterson has been reported on and portrayed in Mostly wrestling media, but also some other types of media. And this is something that we're going to be discussing later on in this episode with my conversation that you're going to be hearing with Bertrand DeBear in a little bit. But I feel like I need to preface everything that we're going to be talking about because, as everybody knows, I like to frame things in a proper context as, as we kind of move forward in a program. So, we're going to be diving into a lot of information as we normally do on this program. I'm trying to tactfully say this, and if it comes off gruff, I apologize, but, you know, we're we're 12 episodes in. You guys have come to expect shooting from the hip from me at this point in time, so I'm going to come right out with it. There's so much lazy narrative out there about Pat Patterson because everybody cherry-picks the easy things to talk about. They talk about the Royal Rumble... They talk about his matches with Ray Stevens. They talk about 
matches at Madison Square Gardens, and then they'll brush over the sex scandal in the WWF, and then they'll talk about his time as a stooge, and they will somehow think, and this is not just wrestling journalists, this is also quote-unquote historians, something that we talk about later on in the program, who seem to have this perversive lazy narrative that kind of runs through the majority of the reporting that you hear from wrestling media and unfortunately it's something that as time progresses and given the fact that pat patterson we lost one year ago uh in december of 2020 it's still something that sticks around today where people just seem to not want to go into the details of Pat Patterson, the man himself, and just cherry-pick, like I said, the the lazy narrative. So rather than give you guys an IMDB, you know, ProFight DB, he wrestled here, he did this and whatever, I really truly felt that it was important that we really take the time today to discuss Pat Patterson. And you'll note that I always refer to him as Pat Patterson and not Pierre Clermont. Now, this is something that quote-unquote smart uh, historians will uh, will talk about uh, Pierre in, as some sort of way to, to showcase their wrestling knowledge, I guess, is part of it, but what I've come to learn and understand about Pat is who he was born as is not who he became. He is in every way, shape or form Pat Patterson. That's the way that we talk about him in this program. That's the way that, uh, I continue to talk about him. That's the way that he wanted to be talked about. So as we move forward in the program, you're not going to see a distinction between the two names. We are going to be referring to Pat Patterson the way that he wanted to be uh, referred to in his story. And that's another thing that's very important uh, that you're going to be hearing in my conversation with Bertrand Bear is the importance of Pat Patterson finally talking about his story. Because as impressive as his wrestling career was, like I said... Him personally as a man is way more impressive and I can honestly say that throughout my research and especially with my conversation with Bertrand Bear, um, I have much more respect for uh, Pat Patterson, the man, as you're going to come to find out right away. But before we jump right into my conversation with Bertrand Bear, I know I've kind of gone long-winded and I apologize, but... As I always do, I wanted to frame things in a proper context before we move forward. So, before I bring on my special guest tonight, Bertrand Bear, I'm going to play another classic uh, promo from Pat Patterson, and then we're going to move into my conversation with Bertrand. Please enjoy. Along with Pat Patterson, what is this intercontinental champion? Just what it says, Mr. McMahon. Last week, Pat Patterson and yours truly were in Rio de Janeiro for the week where Pat Patterson and 20 of the worlds, not the United States, not northern United States, not southern United States, but from all over the world, England, France, China, Russia, all over. That is where the tournament was held. 
And this is the man who emerged triumphant, the new intercontinental heavyweight champion, Rio de Janeiro. Oh, now, Mr. Patterson, what happens to the North American title if, in fact, you are the intercontinental champion? Well, let me tell you something. First of all, the intercontinental champion represents a lot of money and a lot of prestige and represents a lot more prestige than the world's championship belt because you know why? To win that championship, I had to beat 15 of the best wrestlers in the world in the tournament. And I came out on top. So I don't care who the world's champion is, I am the intercontinental champion and I'm the best in the world today. Now, as far as the North American championship belt is concerned, I really don't care what happens to it, because now I'm up to bigger things. They'll probably have a tournament or something. I really don't care. Now I'm up to bigger things. You're looking right now on your television screen at one of the best wrestlers in the world today, Pat Patterson, the new Intercontinental Champion. Now how do you like that to see me on your television screen? Right, thank you for your time, the Grand Wizard and Pat Patterson. Before we go, they tell me you have a lot of class. Why don't you shake my hand right, and congratulate, congratulate me? Us both. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Thank you, you very Pat much. Pat Patterson and the Grand Wizard. We shall return with more wrestling action in just a moment. All right. Finally, happy to be joined on the line. Technical issues aside, by wrestling historian and author, author of a great deal, and co-author, actually, as well, of a great deal of uh, wrestling books. But more importantly, the one that we're going to talk about today the Pat Patterson biography. I'm very happy to be joined on the line by Bertrand Ebert. Bertrand, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, it's it's absolutely my pleasure. And and you know we've been talking a, a bit back and forth in this last month in regards to our uh, our subject of uh, this month's episode, naturally Pat Patterson. But before we get into all that. If anybody who isn't familiar with yourself, and shame on you, by the way, because you should be, considering that Bertrand was on our Dino Bravo episode, but for everybody who's not familiar with yourself, uh, just tell the listeners at home a little bit about yourself uh, before we get into tonight's program. So I've been involved in professional wrestling uh, one way or another for, for a long, long time now, uh, from pro wrestling Illustrated correspondent in the province of Quebec to... Uh, uh, being a promoter and a booker for uh, Northern Championship Wrestling for uh, almost 10 years. I worked for Jacques Rougeau, worked for Paul Leduc. I worked for the TOW project where I met Pat Patterson for the first time here, which was a television a pilot series for RDSD Television. And uh, from there, I also worked with Pat Laprade, um, uh, which uh, I fictionally called The Other Guy. Uh, on the Mad Dogs and Justin Screwjob, which was our original book about the story of the Montreal wrestling territory. We also wrote uh, the Mad Dog Bechamp biography together. Um, and more recently, and coming up right now, uh, the Andrew the Giant, the Eighth Wonder of the World, the, the second printing, the paperback release uh, is coming out uh, at about the time you're, you're listening to this. So ask your, your bookstores if you haven't read that book. That uh, it's the first time that we go into a second press and uh, getting uh, after the hardcover, getting the paperback. So that that's kind of exciting that 
Andrea is being remembered. And I also work with Pat Patterson uh, by myself to uh, put together uh, his biography. I was the third, the third man on, on deck after Pat uh, got the other two uh, out of the project. <laughs> they, he couldn't get along with them. Um, so um, that that's it. And it was a wonderful project uh, working with Pat and, you know, becoming friends with him. And uh, we traveled the world promoting the book. So um, it was uh, an amazing time. So just real quick before we gloss over it. If you're hearing this program on December 1st, or if you're hearing it before December 24th, then you have lots of time to stuck, stuff your stockings, as it will, with that paperback edition of the Andre the Giant book. So I very much uh, encourage any listeners who have not purchased that book to go ahead and uh, and stuff your stockings, if you will, with that one. But in regards to the Pat Patterson book, it, so... And this is something that gets overlooked as well is is how much time and effort and the familiarity with with the person writing the book it takes to make this whole thing come together. You just briefly glossed over how he had an issue with two other people who were going to write about the book and then and then you came on board. Talk to me a little bit about how the process came uh together in regards to you you know hooking up with Pat Patterson in regards to doing the book and then and then how that whole kind of um, issue came to be resolved with uh, yourself coming into the picture to write the biography. I mean, for Pat, it was always about being comfortable uh, with the story and what was put on paper, and also and and building uh, a trust uh, between the, the him and the writer, as he didn't want just about you know just put a book to put a book you wanted to have a book that really told the story the full story for the first time uh so that that was important uh for him so it, it was a, indeed a very long process i mean when i met pat and we worked together on the tow uh, wrestling show for the rds television station here uh, I, I ended up producing pat in his old segment uh which he used to do on french tv in the past which was called the brunch of pat patterson which was kind of a Piper spit version. Uh, in back in the day, he was a heel. In our version, uh, in 2013, he was a babyface, and we ended up, you know, going over old brunch and, and putting together a segment for the show. And through all of that, I had met Pat before on the production meeting for for the TV, and I given him uh, a copy of Maddox and Screwjob. And Pat loved the book, loved it, the part about himself. <laughs> but felt it was very uh, true and, and uh, liked how it came up, uh, which was for my Dr. Justin Screwjob, a, a big part of our later success is that the story we told about everyone in the book, people who read it thought we presented a very fair statement and a very fair story uh, where we were very uh, not protective of the business, but very respectful towards the business and towards everybody in it. And, and Pat really loved it. So um, I, I would say about a couple of months later, I mean, and, and we talked. They say, "Oh, the office, they want me to write a book. Uh, I am working with this writer. He's the second writer, and I don't, you know, it doesn't work too good. And I have to explain everything to him. He doesn't know anything about wrestling and blah blah." 
So I said, well, you know, I'm available. <laughs> uh, a few months later, I mean, I just got a phone call out of the blue. I said, I'm going to tell them I want you to write the book with me. Wow. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> and, and, and we went from there. Uh, but from that point, I mean, it was a very long process. <laughs> so I was flew in. Uh, and after that, I mean, it took quite a while for me to get the interview, the official interview. Uh, and to a point where I, you know, Pat had told me they were going to call me, they were going to fix me to go to uh, Connecticut and get interviewed at Titan Tower and, and all of that stuff. So I was like, well, okay. So at about the time where I given up, <laughs> I got the call uh, from Kevin Dunn's secretary and uh, they booked me to go uh, in and out of New York uh, with the drivers coming up and picking you, you at the airport and all of that. And I had an interview with uh, Kevin Dunn. I think it went pretty well. Uh, I knew and they told me that they were going to meet with a few more people during the week. Uh, and they knew that I was Pat's guy, but they were not too sure. I have only wrote the uh, Mad Dog Pinchers and Screwjob at that point. Um, so, and you know, there was always that uh, worry that it's going to be a wrestling book. And, and Pat didn't want a wrestling book either. So, but you cannot tell Pat Patterson's story without the wrestling component. Yes. So, uh, I think I did well. Uh, but again, Titan's time is a, is a way for them <laughs> to, to, to stretch deadlines. I mean, they basically told me that within a week, a decision would be made. We, we, it took three months. Oh, my uh, God. Uh, and, and Pat called me about 24 hours and he told me, you got the job, they're going to call you. <laughs> be ready and, and 24 hours later I kind of had a, an, another phone interview with uh, uh, a, a producer that, that was going to be our contact person and basically told me that I had the job from there and uh, we set up a meeting he was going to float through and in Montreal to meet with me and Pat and got us set up with uh, my publisher in uh, Toronto ECW Press and uh, so that became very easy for me because I already knew the team over there and we put the deal together and got, got going uh, and you know uh, along the way met a few friends who told me you know once the ball gets rolling you don't have to sign anything they're gonna they're gonna play by their deal and uh, you just need to start working so that's what we did me and Pat started to book interviews and, and work together I mean I had over 14 interview sessions, official for interviews session. I spent a week with him in Florida, uh, also where we worked on what was done with the book at that point, and I, you know, scanned pictures, went through souvenirs and 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 things of that nature. Um, and you know, we then worked, of course, in the, the, the getting the manuscript ready together. Um, so I mean, it. it it, it was never for him a project where he would like just do one or two recording or spend a week with me and then, you know, do whatever he want. He wanted to be involved. He wanted to tell me more. And he wanted to have, go have a drink with me, go have dinner, <laughs> and think over and, and, and feel comfortable with me. So, I mean, 
uh, I, I was a blessed man to be able to be sitting under the learning tree and talk about his life and ask questions. And some subjects, I, I might have been the only person ever to brought those subjects up with him on an interview mm-hmm. and, and uh, be able to know him and uh, learn about uh, the guy who used to be Pierre Clermont because, uh, you know, contrary to what some people were thinking, he had his, he had his name changed. So it was uh, very important to... Uh, book his plane tickets under Pat Patterson. <laughs> so, my goodness, you brought up several um, very fascinating talking points in that, but one that, I, because I'm going to lose my train of thought here, and I want to just circle back to it quick, and then we're going to kind of backtrack our way to move forward in the story, but when you were dealing with the WWE, because this is something that, you know, wrestling quote-unquote fans I've heard for quite a while is that they love to control the narrative. They love to have their hands in everything. When you were in the process of doing the biography with Pat Patterson, did they have a lot of say in what was said in the book or did they kind of give you the hands-off approach and and said, you know what, this is Pat's story. You guys go and and put this thing together. They they were very hands-off. I mean, uh, I believe we had two requests uh, they wanted more info on why Vince fired Shawn Michaels and one of Pat's stories and why he was fired and why Vince didn't want to bring him back because for them it didn't make any sense that a legend such as Shawn Michaels was in a position where he, he was fired and Vince didn't want to bring him back so they wanted a bit more details there and Pat had a story also about midgets and they wanted it to be uh, slightly modified and the word midget not being used so, Which, that makes sense, because that, that could be v- viewed as a very divisive term, so I can understand that part of it. But, so, but, you know, so the, the, the book was reviewed by GLAAD, uh, and uh, was uh, very popular, uh, and it, it made the rainbow list in the United States for uh, library. Uh, stories, inspirational stories uh, about the gay and lesbian community, and so they were very happy with it along the way, and as long as the way, and I was very proud of that, is the way we wrote it, and I wrote it to make it as Pat was talking, uh, they, they left it alone, basically. Uh, even the more crunchy of, of subjects and the more difficult of subjects, they, they, they had no notes, no uh, change that or all that. They, they, they asked a little bit more details about Shawn Michaels and uh, a little less about the the midget story so all in all it was a very positive experience as far as that's concerned there's one word that you used when you were describing um your view of the book and that was fair and this is something that has come to play in terms of the way that i've been going about this program and the other authors that i've had on on the program obviously yourself and pat have been on previously uh heath mccoy has been quite the contributor to this program but and even somebody like last month, I had uh, Javier Oist on, who's a contributor with Pro Wrestling Stories. But it's getting it's getting these wrestling stories and these personalities, but presenting them in a very fair and balanced uh, light to p- put in in a proper context. And and honestly, like reading the book, that's what I got out of it. It was very fair and very balanced. You always hear about in the world of wacky, you know, professional wrestling that everybody's a showman 
They're trying to put themselves over. It's all about them. I didn't find that in this book. And a credit to yourself because I understand that it, it would be very easy to be, you know, sucked in, we'll say, to the orbit of the individual who you are writing for or writing with. Whereas from from everything that I read in the book, and like I said, it was very well done, it's very much, uh, a, you can tell that it's Pat's thoughts and words. Obviously, you're transcribing it to the literature, but it's very balanced. It's very fair, and it's and it's it's not a uh, it's not a book of grandstanding, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and, and it was very important for Pat. I mean, he said, I don't, I don't want to write a book to put myself over. I want to tell my story. So that was always something that came up as we worked on this, and and, and there, there was some 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 stuff or some way I presented early draft where he said, ah, I don't like that. I don't need to say that. I don't want to put myself over. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. So it was very important all along uh, for me to, to represent that while still, uh, you know, you still need to say he was the first intercontinental champion and, and the role he played backstage. You, you still have to present facts uh, on that level. And, and he was okay with it uh, all, all along and it would have been a disservice to, to, to downplay his importance also. Uh, but to find the voice and keep the voice was also very important because Pat has a, had a way of thinking and talking and fast, slow English to French, which was one of my big advantages. Pat would switch from French to English during interviews many times, um, but I could keep up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Where I would I would be fumbling and bumbling and verklempt and everything else. Often enough, when the story happened in English, he would tell it in English. And if the story had happened in French, he would tell it in French. That's so cool. So, and it just came naturally. And for him to be able to switch between the two, depending on how he was feeling or or what he was thinking about, was was made made the process very easy for him. And and the two best compliments we ever got from the book was uh, Mick Foley after reading it saying that he could hear Pat speaking in his in his head while reading the book. And uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin was, uh, when he discussed the book with Pat on, on his podcast, was that, you know, I, I was reading it and I saw you, you were getting ahead of yourself, backtracking, and, and, and it was just like speaking with you. So that, <laughs> that, that was very good because I was going for that feeling that you just met Pat Patterson at the bar and he's telling you your, his life story. And He's having a beer at the same time, and he's laughing, making a joke, and uh, slapping you on the back. So uh, I, I was very happy with the final product, and, and Pat as well. And, and, and it became for him a, a way to uh, free himself of a lot of the baggage he had uh, uh, from hiding over the years. So we're going to go back to the future a little bit here. So you were talking about how you were working with Pat on the program on RDS, but before that, did you uh, have any interactions or did you run into Pat Patterson or did you see Pat Patterson on your uh, television screen, if you will, uh, when you were, when you were growing up and, and getting into wrestling as a kid? Of course. I mean, I started watching wrestling in the early eighties in Montreal when international wrestling got going and Pat, 
uh, early on was a big part of it. Uh, you know, that's the time that's around the time he started working in New York. So Montreal and New York being so close, he ended yes. up coming and working a full summer here and doing a, a lot of in and out uh, spots in Montreal. Uh, so when he turned heel and became La Rive du Québec, he was the, one of the most hated person. <laughs> I hated Pat Patterson. He was such a good heel. Uh, you know, he was Pat Patterson, but he was a Quebecer. So obviously he had changed his name and he would kept telling French people how dumb we were and how much we <laughs> liked Exactly. It was an amazing worker, uh, and, and, and his stuff was hard to top. Uh, and it made all the sense in the in the world to me as a booker on, on why those tag team matches full of action with Pat Patterson being such a good heel and such an amazing worker were put on last, even though they were not billed necessarily as the main event or the big drawing match, because you know they were going to be the match that delivered and sent everybody home, you know, on a high. And I remember going home on a high, you know, the Rougeau brother against uh, Pat Patterson and Kermit Doug Lefebvre. I mean, those were amazing battles and very heated battle as well. So, I mean, I had a very fond opinion of Pat Patterson. I remember also when WWF took over and he, he had the brunch segment as a heel type, like a Roddy Piper type uh, interviewer uh, for the French market. And he was amazing in that as well. He was almost cartoonish. Uh, in the presentation, uh, however, I mean, you know, he would, you know, f fake translate what the the baby face would, would say in English, and, and vice versa. So it 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 came, it, you know, it became a, a a classic, you know, a nostalgia classic uh, with over the years. I mean, we we all love to go and, and watch a whole brunch back with Pat because he was an amazing interview as well as uh, being an amazing worker. And, and today, it's even looking back today, I mean, knowing all he did backstage as well makes it even more fun. I mean, so obviously I was, you know, I had become over the years a big fan of Pat Patterson. I remember hating him. So, I mean, working with him, knowing all I knew was just mind-blowing for, for, for the guy who started to watch wrestling at 10 years old. And um, also, you know, learning also and talking wrestling you know that you know it, it's pretty amazing when pat patterson is sitting at gorilla and he's texting you asking you what you you're thinking wow. of the show uh so i mean that was a lot of fun <laughs> that's incredible uh, so was using my comments with anyone but i mean sometimes he liked to have uh, another uh, bell ring to see you know if you what what he was seeing is the same thing everyone was seeing or how it came up on television at home rather than at the arena so that that was uh that you know that that was a cool relationship that that we built 
and, and you know it became uh also you know he liked talking about the wrestling but he loved getting you know how, how's your kids doing how's your wife and you know he was very down to earth before we move on i just i have to circle back to this because that's something i've never heard before is you know, Pat sitting in gorilla and reaching out to other people like outside of the WWE to see what they're. I I can't think of anybody else who would ever take the time to, because you hear all the time, you know, the writers write this. I hate to use the word script, but that's kind of what the WWE does nowadays. You know, the writers write the script and then they just kind of move on, and there's no there's no um, tangible touchback, if you will, to like. Okay, is there are there people who I appreciate their their feedback? What do they think of the show? And I think that's so incredible that Pat would reach out to obviously to yourself and, and just hey, what'd you think? Like that's so cool. I and that's something I would have never known before. I mean, you know, and it was just you know, it was chit chat basically, and. And, and, you know, when we were working on the book and, and we were having an interview session on a Tuesday, I mean, obviously would say, did you watch the show, you know? And I would give him my, my feelings on it. And sometimes, you know, he, he, he had went to bed before the end of the show as well. <laughs> so, you know, Pat was not totally blind and he, he could accept that, that the business was different but you know he, he had a lot of reads on some of the issues and, and that, that, that we're still having I believe with, with you are, yes. uh, but you know that that's a battle that, that's a hill he was not ready to die on anymore or fight the, too much anymore so you know he just get, gave his input and, and he was happy with that so naturally, at, at the sort of the program, we had kind of discussed on how, you know, when you're writing the book with Pat and how very fair and balanced it was. And there was a lot of information that I had found in the book that I didn't necessarily know previous. And obviously, we're not going to go uh, chapter for chapter from their book because, uh, again, I highly encourage everybody to pick this up because... It's an incredible read, but there are a couple of highlights that I wanted to uh, kind of cherry pick and then kind of uh, get more in depth and, and how it was for yourself hearing these stories and then how Pat felt about uh, sharing them with you. So there was one in particular that has struck me and it was regarding his childhood. And I mean, you can read on Wikipedia how he came from you know, a, a very humble beginning, right? His family was, was, um, poor essentially. And I'm not saying that in a derogatory way to say it, but that's the fact. And, and what was written on the book, and I'm going to paraphrase here quickly, just really accentuated that. And I wanted to get your thoughts on it as well. So he had said in the book that, um, they basically, there was his whole entire family they were in a two-bedroom apartment. Uh, one of the bedrooms was for his parents, and the other one had the other six uh, children sleeping in it. But there were some of them sleeping in the hallways. They had to move themselves out of there to get out of the way of people waking up early. Uh, there was no running water. They had to go, you know, clean themselves in, a, in essentially a community bath and all this. 
And for us in English Canada, we don't understand this kind of communal living. And then the other part of it is that his, I believe it was his aunt and uncle, correct me if I'm wrong, who were, who owned the building. So it's like, it's like this, his family's there, his extended family's there, but they're all kind of living in, in like a poor surrounding. These are things that I just, I didn't know about before and reading the book. It was just, it was completely mind blowing. Well, well, for Pat, I mean, it was always, a goal. I mean, one of the things he was telling, you know, when there's nine people and the parents in the same house, I mean, you're never alone. You're never with yes. yourself. You never have a minute except maybe going to the bathroom. So it, it's it, it it became very important for him to 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 see the world and and see more than when where he came from. Uh, so he wanted to see the world. He wanted to travel. He wanted to see different way of living and he wanted a better life obviously but you know he was i don't think he was ever unhappy and and he was not alone in that situation in those days uh it's uh my mother you know grew up uh she's about the same age as pat and she grew up in the the la Vagandrie park where uh my grandfather was uh forest guard you know he made sure uh, there was no uh, hunting when they're not supposed to and all of that and, and they had no running water and they had to bring water from the lake and, and have it on the stove to get to take a bath and things of that nature so 80 some years ago that you know we didn't have the the the, 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 the basics that that we have today and, and that was also a very important Part of giving context to the story that Pat came from a time way before the internet, yes. way phones flying everywhere, and, and and it was a very different way of thinking and a different way of living. There was one specific quote that he had in this, and I, I want to read it because I think it's pertinent to our our later conversation in the Pat Patterson story. Uh, he had said, uh, "quote." As a small child, I was already living in the closet, and that is taken in so many different contexts. You know, A, he's living basically in a closet, legitimately. B, the family life, and then C, obviously, where he would wind up in his in his personal life. And I just, it's comments like that throughout the book that I think that are very eye-opening, because you really see... You, you know, Pat Patterson, the man, emerge as we kind of go through the story. I mean, he, he told a story towards the end of the book that, you know, he grew up in that very small apartment where they had the, his bed basically in a closet at night. You know, during the day, they would put the, the whole bed in the closet, and at night, he would open the door and get the bed out and would sleep in there with one of his brothers. And years later, I mean, he would have a suite, a two-floor suite in an hotel all by himself and get lost. <laughs> but, you know, for him, it, it, it just became, he could, he, he had difficulties even realizing how, how far he had come from, from that humble beginning, you know. Uh, and he could not believe, I mean, if he would have told that to his younger self, I mean, his younger self would have laughed at him, uh, that, that any of this was possible. So, 
he was amazed. And, and when we started doing the book, I mean, he was already like 74, 75. And, and you know, he, he said, you know, I know my, my day will come one day, you know, uh, and, but I, I'm ready. You know, I'm good to go. I, I, I've done everything. I lived everything. I have a very happy life. I, you know, so you can't live forever and I can't complain. So it was very, and, and, and getting that weight off with the book, as far as uh, opening up completely about his sexuality, uh, that, 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 that had a big impact on him. It, it freed him in a lot of ways. I saw a different man uh, once the book came out and he felt comfortable talking about it with anyone. Uh, so, I mean, he went from uh, calling Louis his friend in the book and making sure I was never right boyfriend because he said, I never called him that. He was my friend Louis. So I can call him my boyfriend in, in the book. Okay. So, you know, I rearranged things and then, and, and worked on the wording and the phrases and all of that to, to make it work. And, and we're, we're doing publicity in Montreal and he's calling Louis's boyfriend on television. So I'm like, I was mind blown that suddenly, <laughs> after fighting with me on, on on that word for the book, he was promoting it and talking about Louis as his boyfriend. So it, it, it made a huge difference in his life. And that's something you kind of, you really get the sense of and understand the further you go in the book is, and this is another subject that you had brought up earlier in our conversation I want to touch back on is how he didn't want it to be a wrestling book. And I totally understand that because, you know, obviously the, the life of Pat Patterson, while he's, you know, hugely influential in wrestling, it's, and, you know, for a uh, large part of it is that's his life was wrestling, but what he went through in terms of, you know, coming out which was not very well received, and we're going to touch on that in a second here, but then moving forward into a career that was also not very well received, we'll say, by his parents, and then moving forward in an industry where it was, you know, and unfortunately today still is kind of frowned upon, as progressive as we think we are in 2021, it doesn't... You know, there, there's still a lot of prejudice anyways is what I'm trying to get at. And I'm not one to speak on it because that's clearly not, you know, the life that I live and I'm not qualified to speak on it. But for myself, the openness and honest speaking that Pat Patterson did in, in the book, it was just, my goodness, it was eye-opening. And from every, and like I had prefaced this whole conversation with, even, even the way he came out to his parents was was mind-blowing to me but before we kind of get into that part of it i had read a section in the book and it was discussing how he kind of found wrestling and this kind of see everything in this book kind of ties into itself right and that's what i love about it so we've discussed how he kind of came up and his family was very poor again a, a very awful turn of phrase but it's proper now i guess is is the way to say it but so we, he is and correct me if i'm wrong please but he essentially gets free tickets to a wrestling show he goes because they never get anything and he's 
instantly hooked. Yeah, that, that you know, and they bought a loaf of bread and they had the free ticket price inside to go to see the wrestling show. And he went and he loved it instantly. I mean, he, he had wanted to be an acrobat and he was hopeful to, to go with the high Oh, that's right, too. Show business. So finding that, that sport that is show business at the same time, uh, it was very high-opening for him and he became a huge fan and he just wanted to, to be a wrestler as well. I'd like to take a real quick break to play some Pat Patterson audio, which I feel will add some context to the conversation that we're going to head into in this part of the program. Now, this audio is from the Pat Patterson documentary that the WWE had done, and it, uh, in his own words, describes uh, the next part of the program that we're going to discuss. So uh, please enjoy this uh, audio from Pat Patterson his conversation with the WWE, and on the other side, we'll get right back to my conversation with Bertrand Bear. At age 16, Pat's dream of a pro wrestling career was well known to his family, but they didn't know everything. No one knew I was gay, you know, I was just a young guy, but I know I was not attracted by the girls, no way. And the first time I did something with a guy, it felt good to be caressed, to be hold and squeezed, you know what I mean? felt good to me. But anyway, I was so excited, you know. I, I wake up my mom and dad at 1 o'clock in the morning, and I, I want to tell them the good news, that I'm in love. And my mother said, well, I'm happy for that. You didn't have to wake us up. I said, no. I said, I'm in love with a guy. Well, my dad went crazy. He says, we're not going to have no career in this house. You're going to have to get out of here. And my mother said, well, you can't do that. My mother was crying. I said, no, don't worry about it. I'll leave. Don't worry. I'll leave. I left. I was 16 years old, and he told me, don't come and knock on the door. I didn't. I found a big suitcase in the garbage, tied up with a rope, and I took a Greyhound bus. My sister gave me $20. I went to Boston. So the one big misconception in the wrestling lore, if you will. And this this goes back to something that you and I discussed off-air on Twitter. But anyways, is how he left Montreal to get into wrestling. And, and I know we're kind of jumping along storylines, but there is kind of a recurring theme that runs throughout the course of this program, which I really want to, you know, kind of accentuate and hit the nail on the head on. So he gets into wrestling in Montreal, like obviously finds it like you just elaborated. He starts training a little bit, but then you know, he he it was not very it was not looked upon well with his parents. And then he has his I don't know how what's the proper way you want to phrase it, but his first experience with coming out, we'll say. I guess that's a good way to phrase it. And he tells his parents, and he's essentially kicked out at that time. And that really is the genesis of how he moves from Montreal to Boston. Because you'll often hear that, oh, Pat wanted to learn wrestling. He moved from Montreal to Boston. But they leave that part of it out. And and I thought that you had done, and Pat, to his credit, had done such an eloquent job of explaining 
the truth of what happened. When you were going over that part of the story, how was that for Pat? And and what did you make of it for yourself? I mean, for, for him, it was very clear. That, I mean, that he wanted to 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 be good at wrestling and 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 make money with wrestling. And in Montreal, uh, it, it was not a very secure job. Uh, it was a small territory. Uh, often enough, only the promoters made the big money in Montreal. And especially if you were local, uh, there was very limited positioning available. Uh, so, I mean, he learned his wrestling. He was very good. He, you know, he had caught the eyes of a few promoters and he had caught the eyes of Mad Dog Bashan already as a uh, very talented worker. But the fact that he was gay, uh, you know, ended up putting him in a crossroad with his dad. And from there, you know, uh, he had already made some inquiries about getting some work in Boston and you know that that became the next step uh, to move to Boston and from there you know the story uh, uh, took care of itself and, and, and Pat became a, a, a huge star uh, in the United States uh, and, and, and I believe I mean that that's part of the, the, the reason uh, or the reasoning sometimes with WWE that putting over the hometown boy in their own hometown is that Pat became a big star in San Francisco, cannot be as far away from Montreal as that. And, and he was never a big star. Or never, he was never promoted as the top star in his own town. And, and, and it was almost a foreign concept to him. Uh, and I think it, it links Selinger's into the WWE way of thinking about uh, the local guy and how you can make him a big star if you use him right in his own town. Uh, but for Pat, I mean, he said, yeah, well, you should be able to get over anywhere. Uh, and, and that's what he did. And, and for him, I mean, that, that, that's the story. Uh, he moved to the U.S. because he wanted to make a living, which there was much more opportunities for, for, for that in the U.S. And also because, you know, uh, the, the, of the way things turned out with his dad, uh, and it took them years, not decades. I mean, it, it, they didn't make total peace until Pat was in New York again. Uh, so the decades later, so there's one funny story. And if wrestling fans will have heard the lore of, uh, Pat Patterson ribs throughout their entire life, but there was one part of the book that I read it and I laughed out loud because, uh, this just seems so pat. I I just want to read this and then get your take on it because I can't imagine how you felt writing this portion of it. So when Pat was in uh, Boston, I believe it was he he had uh, a certain landlord who he would prank all the time, and one of these pranks involved a bathtub full of water. So. I want to read this quick and then just get what your thoughts on uh, what you thought about it. So he says, quote, another time I let the run, the water run in the bathtub all night in the second floor bathroom. The next morning, Ralph, Ralph called out to me, Patterson. <laughs> I can't even read it without laughing. There's some serious shit going on around here. What do you mean, Ralph? I answered as if I was still half asleep playing dumb. Let me show you. He brought me over to, to his apartment. Water was dripping down the wall from the ceiling. It was goddamn Niagara Falls in there. Just to me, you always hear about the Pat Patterson and the rib people and whatever, and it's it's funny to see that 
it starts like it's almost right from the start of his wrestling career. He's just getting into mischief. Yeah, Pat was very was not someone who took himself too seriously. You may have figured out if you read the book. Yes. (laughs) You're some year old man living on his own in Boston. You know, and there's no internet or there's no video games or anything like that. So they're trying to entertain themselves. And in that particular building, most of the boys were were living there. So it was kind of almost a wrestling dorm. So, I mean, that's what they did, you know, anything to get a laugh out of each other. And and the ribbing part of the wrestling community became from that, you know, what are we going to do to uh, entertain ourselves? Because the the, the job is not necessarily uh, the match itself. It's getting from matches to matches you know it's a two plane and the the, the two hour drive and how, how are we going to get through that to get to do the match the match is fun it's it's the in between that is the hard work um so i mean back in those days that that's how they, they survive it's that who's going to make who laugh and who's going to pull the biggest joke and uh, present the biggest tell-tall story so it, it all came from that now, obviously, the biggest person who helped Pat throughout his his journeys was, and he's quoted in the book many times as his friend Louis, who he had met in Boston, and then obviously, you know, ended up traveling essentially the world with him. Kind of tell me a little bit about how you approached the start of the well, we can say it, relationship with Louis in the book and then how that kind of progressed into really telling Pat and Louis' story. I mean, from the get-go, that was the most important part. And, and you know, I pretty much knew anything that was known about Louis up to that point in time. So for Pat, it was very refreshing that he could speak to me about Louis being his partner and being his lover for 40 years and being in a relationship with him. And I would not confuse that with him being a tag team with Ray Stevens and wondering what he and Ray would, would do on the side. It was very comforting for him that I knew who were all those people in his life. And uh, he didn't have to explain everything to me. I knew. I knew the background. You know, he didn't have to explain to me who Ray Stevens was. He, he needed to tell me stories about Ray Stevens and how he felt about Ray Stevens. I, I knew who Ray Steven was. I, I didn't need that explanation. So it for him, that, that made a big difference, I believe, and, and compared to other writers that had tried to work with him. And it made him feel comfortable. Uh, so from the get-go, I mean, Louis was going to be a big character in the book for him, you know, and the book is dedicated to him. And uh, that telling their story was very important for Pat. Uh, because, you know, they were hiding in plain sight for so long, uh, it felt really good for him to be able to tell everything. The Ray Stevens thing we'll touch on in a second, but for for myself, and I found it so fascinating and so interesting, the progression of their relationship, because, you know, they're they're in Boston, and it's kind of like a... I don't want to say it's a love affair, but it's they they fall head over heels for each other like 
very quick and they're very serious. And then Pat leaves to pursue his career and they were separated for quite a while. And then eventually Louis comes back in the picture. But it was always one of these things where Louis was just a friend. And Pat did... And we have to understand the times that Pat was living in where it was, you know, frowned upon to be, you know, we'll say it, homosexual in anything. It doesn't matter if you're in wrestling or a regular nine to five job or whatever. It just, it was not accepted back then to be that kind of a person. So there were many stories in the book of, of Pat challenging people who would insinuate that he was in a relationship with Louis and, you know, it would come to, Oh, that's just my friend. He's just here. I just, to me, that, there's so much of the book that speaks to the character of Pat Patterson, but there's a lot of the book that speaks to the character of Louis and how he was able to, you know, stick with Pat through all of this essentially nonsense and build a life and build a relationship and 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 keep pursuing it. It, it would be very easy for anybody to just, oh, I'm done and on to the next one, but... Man, I I can't imagine what it was like for Louie in this whole crazy world of wrestling. He he was the rock. He was the anchor that that kept Pat Patterson sane in in that crazy world of pro wrestling. That's basically how he presented Louie to to me. Uh, You know, if Pat Patterson became too big in Pierre's Clermont's head, to take the analogy, you know, Louie would bring him back to earth, you know? Uh, So... And they had a very balanced, a very yin and a yang relationship as far as that goes. Uh, and, and Pat told him along the way, you know, I'm always going to come back home, but, you know, wrestling comes first. Uh, so wrestling going to bring food to the table. It's going to get us a good life, but, you know, it needs to come up first. And But I'll always go back home. So it, it's a very interesting relationship. Anybody that can stay together for 40 years, uh, <laughs> yeah, expect, hats off. Uh, no matter what. Uh, so, I mean, they, they obviously had something very special. Uh, Pat never went out to, to look for the love after Louis died. Um, he, he couldn't imagine finding anyone that would be the, the same, could, could fill out the same space uh between him and uh, louis so it, it was just you know my soulmate is gone and i'm gonna do that part by myself type deal you know he said he would he was open if something you know if surprise happened and he would have fallen in love with someone but he, he, he kind of didn't believe it was possible well and i don't blame him there there i couldn't imagine and I, you know i've only been married to my wife for or what are we in 2021? So it's been seven years. I couldn't imagine 40 years and and you know losing her and and trying to move on from that. It was just it, it, for me, I would be a almost a non-starter. I just my goodness, and you know for ourselves, we're like, and I'm speaking for myself and my wife. Obviously, we're in a um what's the word I want to use? We're in a more conventional relationship, if you will. 
I can't I can't imagine what it would have been like for them. Forty years of of legitimately no easy like there was nothing easy about it. No, I mean obviously not, and, and even if it was accepted, I mean. For a long time, it was never to be discussed to a point that when everybody knew and and people started to accept that type of uh, relationship and it becomes easier for, for a gay, uh, Pat never felt comfortable. There was never any coming out until Legends House. He had never publicly said to anyone, oh, well, by the way, I'm gay. Oh, and I want to get on that a little bit later, but please continue. It was very private always, and it was... You know, if you were close enough to him or were invited to, to the house with him and Louis, you kind of figured out, but it was never uh, splattered in front of everyone or it was never told, oh, by the way, we are. You know, it, it was, you know, it was very discreet all the time. And that's the weight that Pat had over the years. I mean, more recently, and that's something Pat either had forgotten or, or was not discussing, but... Uh, there was an article recently that, that came out uh, where, you know, when Pat er, er, early on in San Francisco and then Portland was there, uh, the U.S. government was attempting to get him expulsed from the country because he was gay or they were suspected of being gay. Uh, so he was interviewed, interrogated, and they, they had people watching him and, and all that. And I remember him telling me that, you know, oh, they're watching me. And you're like, you know, come on, Pat, you know, who's watching you? And, you know, Pat's always half laughing, half, yes. half being serious. And, and now it makes sense, but he never brought it up. And I didn't have any information to, to, to try to brought it up. So obviously it was very hard. You know, he, they had to keep it quiet. They, they could they didn't know who to trust, who they could tell. They needed to always have that plausible denial and, and, and to be able to say, no, no, it's just a friend, you know. Uh, so that it, it, it was that bad at some point, you know, trying to get him out of the country so that he, he would get a psych, psych, psychological evaluation and, you know, trying to get him out to Canada so that they would not let him, let him back in. And, and so it, it was a hard time, you know, so for them to, to be together and to live that life. Uh, and more and more in the open, I mean, and it's very sad because, you know, a few more years, if, they, you know, Louis would have reached a 2000 or so, you know, things could have been different for them. And they could have been a little bit more open about their relationship and and, and be a very positive uh, image for, 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 for gay and, and a very positive experience for, for people to share with them. I remember Pat having amazing experience in Europe when we went for the book uh, with a couple that just got married. They actually, you know, shortened their, their honeymoon to go and meet Pat. Wow. And, and what they were inspired by him. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, it, it, it is a reflection of the time, you know. Pat was 80-some uh, years old. And, and when you grew up in that time frame, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, I mean, if it was known, it was not to be discussed, and if it it was never to be revealed either. So it's uh, a very different time. And maybe that's why he has such a hard time, and I, clearly I can't speak for Pat, and I would never dream to, 
But maybe that was why it took till the Legends House, and again, we're going to get into that in a minute, for him to come out public, publicly with it. Because it's almost impossible to live your life for, Jesus, what would it have been almost 50 years of, you know, deny, 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 deflect, 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 and then to finally come out with it. It's not, you, it's not flipping a light switch. Right, it's the strength of character that it took for him to do it then is incredible in it in of itself. And again, we're going to talk about that in just a second. But I just want to further expand on the whole uh, relationship aspect with Louis because uh, throughout the book, and there's, and I know I I keep referencing it, and again, this is something that I truly would implore anybody listening to this program if you haven't picked up the book already pick it up but like there's stories where you know him and louie are in a in an apartment and somebody comes and you know uh pat answers the door or louie answers i don't remember who it was in their underwear and then all of a sudden it's a big oh no he's just staying here this is not what it looks like and then at the matches that night pat has to go and almost you know fight somebody for insinuating that he's in a in a in a gay relationship and this is when at this point in time pat is already an established star and he's a moneymaker but he still has to put on this facade and he has to act like this is just his traveling friend yes so it's it's a a very different times And, and and you know that that does weight on the psyche of anyone and that's why it took so long. And he was telling me, well, everybody knew, but I never said anything. <laughs> <laughs> they knew, but I didn't say anything. So for that, for him, it, it was not the revelation, more of like being able to say it in public. There is one story that I have to have you you describe because it's it's funny, and but it, it's. Um, it's very interesting and very telling of the people involved, and that is the Mad Dog Vachon story uh, when Pat had gone out to Portland in regards in regards to uh, finding out about Louis, if you will. You know, it, it, once again, we're, we're in the it's never to be discussed. So for for Pat to have Louis over, kind of put some light on their relationship so that that was the issue and, and you know to to their credit i mean louis was scared but to to mad dog's credit i mean once he started to talk to louis and learn about him you know pat said that they became better friends than him and mad dog but <laughs> <laughs> the world he, he had many different uh, interests and he could discuss about anything, so he would easily find a subject or something to share with the. And Mad Dog was a, uh, loved the news and how things are going in the world, and you know they would uh, discuss and, and talk about the world and how things are and uh, what should happen for this, should happen for that. So they, they could redo the world over an evening. So you know 
it, it, it is uh, to the credit of Louis. Lou, you know, sometimes people knew as if they were coming into a territory, but they always came in with the most amazing reputation. Everyone would put them over to a point where, you know, when Pat went to the AWA, uh, Greg Gagne and Dick Bockwinkel had put Louis over so much that Vern was not too sure, uh, being an older gentleman, about all of that. He wanted to meet Louis, and he wanted to have uh, <laughs> those famous the Louis meal. Uh, yes, Louis entertained the big groups and was an amazing cook. So, you know, and, and we had that revelation uh, as we spent the week together in Florida. How much that you know, Pat was never a militant for the gay movement or was never publicly or openly gay. However, I mean, the way Boti and Louis acted. Uh, at work, uh, interacting with other people, they changed a lot of opinion about what being gay meant. You know, they, their reputation was stellar. They were perfect gentlemen. Uh, they were amazing O's. Uh, they were intelligent. They were brilliant. They were all, always present at work, always good worker, always doing th their, their best. And, and, you know, it, it changed a lot of people's perception about what it meant to be gay. Uh, so, you know, they, they were never in the street to, to try to get more rights or, or, or anything like that, but they did change a lot of people uh, along the way. So that, that's also a, a great uh, service they did uh, as they move along in the world. And naturally with, with uh, Louis passing in the tragic way that he did uh, on essentially the eve of one of the most controversial or infl or infamous pay-per-views in wrestling history and i just i can't imagine what it was like for pat to lose his you know best friend his his love his just everything and and have to continue in in the wrestling world without the vast majority of people understanding his loss i that's a heavy weight to put on your shoulders. I mean, it was the day of the pay-per-view, and to WWE's credit, I mean, they took really good care of him, you know, whisked him away from the building and and, and put him on the first plane to Pittsburgh so he could, could join uh, Louis' family where, where he passed. Uh, and, and they were very supportive. I mean, obviously, you know, wrestling business being what it was, they kind of told him, you know, they, they could tie, took all the time off he needed, but obviously, you know, maybe it'd be easier to get lost in work, uh, which he did. And, and, and it worked in a lot of sense. Uh, however, you know, it was kind of like a, a stop gate, you know, once he was out and, and going back to the hotel room, I mean, he caught himself quite a few times sitting on the bed and, you know, starting to make a phone call and realizing that, you know, there was nobody to call anymore. Uh, so that, 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 that was a really hard time. Uh, but you know, uh, times do heal the whole wound. Uh, but obviously, I mean, losing Louis was a, a big, big, uh, turning point in his life, you know? Uh, and, and I believe, I mean, kind of coincide with, with the time when he started to have a less and less, uh, full schedule, full-time schedule. And also, you know, took 
took time to travel and enjoy the world, enjoy uh, the, his hard earned money, and take care of himself a little bit uh, through the years. Just want to hit the pause button real quick to play some more Pat Patterson audio. Now, this is going to dig a little deeper into the conversation that we're going to have regarding Pat Patterson's time with the WWE Legends host. So, once again, I'm going to play some Pat Patterson audio. And then, once again, we're going to jump right back into my tremendous conversation with Bertrandy Bear. Pat, Pat. Is it me? Yeah. Oh. Well... From where I come from, what I have, I have nothing, no family, no money, and I ended up with Vince working in the office. To me, that was the biggest achievement of my life. But there's more to that, guys. There's more to that. Sitting here tonight, I, I'm going to say something that I would never want to say publicly. But being, being here with you guys, for once in my life, I'm going to be me now. I survived all this being gay. But when he just let it go tonight and made it happen, I started tearing up. My fellow legends mates started tearing up. I lived with that for 50 some years. Yeah. I had a friend with me for 40 years, and I lost him because he had a heart attack, and I ended up alone. I survived the business. I did. I'm so proud of me. It's tough, guys. It was tough. We love you, Pat. We've we always loved you. <laughs> I gave my life to the business. I don't regret nothing. And for the rest of my life, I, I want to be happy. Now, something else that we had touched on a couple of times now is uh, is the Legends House escapade, if you will. Uh, <laughs> this was not something that he necessarily wanted to do. Is that correct? I mean, I mean, from his own word, is that. They, 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 Vince and Kevin Dunn twisted his arm to do it. Uh, and, and, you know, kind of been think that it'd be a good place or a cool place for him to, to finally let go of all of that. And, 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 and it was something he thought about when they started the process and, and started the Legends House. But, you know, he was never too sure that he was going to go all the way. But those, those reality shows kind of have that you know, it's you're living 24/7 with people, so it's it's kind of a very charged up emotion. Quickly, you get tight quickly with with the people you're living with. So you know, it felt good to to just let go towards the end, uh, and, and and it was the start of the the healing process that would be completed with the book. So uh, you know, no matter if he was uh, twisted to do it or not. <laughs> twist his arm to, to do it. I thought it was funny. There's a few stories that he had said in the book about uh, they were out doing an activity and, oh, you guys got to do it again. And he's like, oh. <laughs> I mean, that story is amazing when they go fishing. Yes, that's the one. At all. And, you know, the getting off the boat, the, 
the, the, the, the production crew cannot get the good shot. There's always something. They're too fast. They're too quick. They, you know, a cameraman fell down. They're always screwing it up, and they have to redo it again. And, you know, Pat told them, you know, you know, I'll bet you $10 that, you know, we're going to have to do it again. And they said, no, 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 it's going to be the last take. And they screwed it up. And Pat said, I'm not doing any other take until I get my $10. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, I love that, it. That was Pat because he knew production and he knew. And, you know, it was bad enough that they had the day fishing, which, you know, I think one or two people in the whole group love to do. But, you know, there was no fish. (laughs) (laughs) One fish all day, the whole group. And, uh, you know, and now we have to walk up that that, that, uh, port for, like, I don't know how many times. So, you know, that's the joy of uh, reality television. Yeah. uh, Reality, quote-unquote, I think is the proper way to put that one into context. I was doing the finger thing, but we're not on the video. <laughs> yeah, no, there is no video on, on this uh, on this program. That's tremendous. We're gonna take a quick break from my conversation with Bertrand Bear just to play some wrestling audio that will clear up a little bit of our conversation that we're gonna have in this next section. Now, many fans of this show are not particularly wrestling fans, so may not understand the context of what we are going to be discussing, which is the uh, heavy subject of the WWF sex scandal. Now, this news program from CBS in 1992 will kind of lay out what was happening with the WWF at that time. Unfortunately, this is something that Pat was kind of ruled up in, although, as you'll hear from in our conversation with Bertrand Bear. There was uh, no fire to the smoke that was put out there, if you will. So, once again, I'm going to play a little bit of this audio. It's going to give a little bit of clarification for those who are unfamiliar with what happened with the WWF sex scandals and the steroid scandals in the early 1990s. And on the other side, right back to my continuing conversation with Bertrand de Bear. The baseball season doesn't open until next week. College basketball's Final Four is not till tomorrow, and the hockey players are on strike. So there's time to catch up on professional wrestling. That always strange world of hoaxers and hoaxers has been hit now with some real scandals. Bob Paul reports tonight's Eye on America. This is to sport what Jim and Tammy Baker are to religion, what Ripper is to wine very distant relatives. The winner, determined by the promoter beforehand, never lays a hand on the bum, only the spit is real. And yet this hideous combination of sideshow, acrobatics, and good guy versus evil has been boffo box office. Now, though, the business has been rocked by unprecedented charges of sleaze, even sexual depravity. From ex-wrestlers appearing on late-night radio shows... It is definitely sexual harassment any way you slice it. To the holiest of holy, national daytime television. Now come forward a number of people to say, because I wouldn't have sex with another guy in the game, I couldn't get promoted. I wouldn't sleep with the vice president of operations, so they fired me. 
You saw Ring Boys, did you, being sexually harassed? Yes, I, I've seen Ring Boys uh, being sexually harassed. Weird, you say? You want weird? Take what happened to midget wrestler, the Karate Kid. Propositioned, he says, by a prominent wrestling executive, then blackballed because he said no. The main reason, though, you didn't work was because you wouldn't go to bed with him. I believe that's the main reason. No criminal indictments have been brought, no lawsuits filed, but the charges are no small potatoes because the cash cow of professional wrestling claims to sell more merchandise than even the National Football League. That's not all that's at stake. Even the game's biggest name has been tarnished. I'm glad you've been listening to Hulk Hogan for the last five years yelling and screaming about training, saying your prayers, and eating your vitamins. But what Hulk Hogan preaches is apparently not what he practices. He took steroids like he drank water. One-time wrestler Dave Schultz used to be the Hawkster's best friend. Did you personally observe Hogan at any point taking steroids? Sure. I injected Hogan with steroids many times. Many times. Many, many times. A dozen Hundreds times. of times. Hundreds. Hundreds. Hulkamania is the largest arms in the world. Hulk Hogan would not talk with CBS News, but the man who has made millions marketing Hogan has gone on the offensive. Some of these allegations are absolutely absurd that have been raised. McMahon insists it's all just a conspiracy to wreck his business. And it just seems as though uh, they're all ganging up on us uh, all at one time. These are people with axes to grind? Yes. They would like to see you fail. No question. There's no sign the charges have done any harm. Although Hogan's star may be waning, one major manufacturer just ordered more wrestling toys. WrestleMania will be sold out. And even critics concede promoters are rich enough and fan mania is deep enough to ride out the storm. This is not going to wreck professional wrestling. Oh, no, no, no. Professional wrestling, no. Professional wrestling will be around forever. From midgets who feel discarded to might-have-beens who've fallen on leaner times, there is a crescendo of opinion. Congress ought to investigate. Yes, Congress, where checks have been hitting the canvas harder than Andre the Giant. No, wrestling or whatever this is has survived scandals before, and there is no reason to believe this one, too, won't be drowned out by all those fans who couldn't care less. This is Bob Paul in St. Joseph's, Missouri, for Eye on America. That's part of our world tonight. Dan Rather, for the CBS Evening News. Don't forget 60 Minutes on Sunday. You know, obviously there's there's a lot of, uh, a ton of high points in, in Pat's career and his life. And obviously the highest of highs is his relationship with Louie. Um, and again, this is something that goes into, in, into his own words and a lot better detail in, in the book. And once again... I would highly encourage anybody who hasn't read it to read it, but there is one, and this is something that I, I was debating on talking about in the program, and it's for a variety of reasons, uh, some good, some some not so good, and this is regarding the, the as it came to be known, the WWF sex scandal, and... I was going back and forth, and I really w- was on the fence of, do I want to give this um, issue a lot of credence? Because, and this is hard to talk about because it's, uh, 
it was a witch hunt. I think you and I can both agree on that part of it. Um, but but it's also something where, and and this is something that I had talked about with yourself as well. I had just listened to uh, a quote unquote wrestling historian the other month who had gone through, you know, the Donahue show, who completely misrepresented the entire issue to paint it as uh as an issue to lump pat patterson into so as much as and i'm sorry i'm getting a little bit hoarse and and uh, i have good friends of mine they're a gay couple i went to their wedding i have my wife's cousin who's gay i went to their wedding as well i have the utmost respect just as anybody else who if they were straight who got married to me it's it's such a sacred thing to get to to profess your love and get married to somebody and, and that's the uh, uh relationship whether it's gay straight lesbian whatever like that is it's sacred to me and it means it means a lot and for me to see that pat is still in 2021 getting lumped into this uh scandal from the 90s is ridiculous and it's so counterintuitive to what wrestling is supposed to be and there there was a quote from the book that I just wanted to to read and then I want to get your thoughts on on this whole issue if you will um in regards to this this scandal and it, I understand that I'm kind of fumbling and and I'm flummoxed and whatever but it's I can't understand how this is still a thing in 2021, but it is. And this is something I wanted to touch on just very quickly. And then naturally we can move on to, to better topics. So he says, quote, There was absolutely no laughter associated with the sexual harassment scandal. In the wake of other, other individuals' misconduct within the company, I was wrongly accused of being involved in their inappropriate conduct. The fact that I was gay certainly played a part in me being targeted like that. Out of loyalty, I decided to make my life easy on Vince. I quit the company. In my mind, that was it. I was done. And this is something where... Th there's a few factors I feel that come into play in this one. Is... One, obviously the fact that Pat was gay. And whether or not he came out with it, everybody knew. Right? Uh, two was the the ribbing nature that we had alluded to earlier. Pat was a notorious ribber, not in just strictly uh, gay context, but there was, like I said, the the one where he turned on his bathtub, plugged the thing, and let it overflow into his his landlord's suite. Right? Pat did all these ribbing things, but people tend to lump um, these issues into the same context and then the third is that he is french canadian and there is a bit of a language um barrier that people i feel took advantage of in the course of pat's career so you you kind of lump all these things together and then the wwf sex scandal happens and automatically pat is just thrown in there thrown to the wolves and god damn it people still effing talk about this to to this day um when, when you had brought this 
or when you had come to this part of the story, and I'm sorry I'm going long-winded here, and I apologize to everybody listening at home, but when you had gone gotten to this part of the story, how did you approach it, and, and what was Pat willing to discuss, and what was his thoughts about it? I mean, this, this was, you know, obviously, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a lot to digest here. Yes. Let's start with the beginning. This is the type of story, especially back then in the 90s. I mean, the the original headline is huge, big first page. Yes. But there's the retraction and, you know, the fact that he's not charged with anything or that he there's no long-term repercussion because he's cleared of any wrongdoing. That's page six in a very small, tiny corner. Of yeah, page. buried. Like, uh, buried and, and so everybody remember the headline everybody can find back the headline everybody can find the donahue show nobody can find the guys who, who the guy who put pat patterson on, on, on under the bus for no good reason other than to a company uh nobody can go and find his autobiography where it says that he lied on donahue and he should never have done that uh so it, it, you know, Donna, you can be found on YouTube. The guy's biography, you actually have to go and pick up uh, his biography and, and see that he actually says in the book that he lied on that show. So it, that that that's the fight that Pat was in, and you know, it was at the top of the list. I I, I wanted to talk about that because I felt that you know, how can you not talk about that on a book about his life? Because yes. if he doesn't, you know, that's like telling everyone that he was guilty if he ignored the subject, which was his first reaction and had been his motto uh, since uh, he went back to the company was to ignore it, never talk about it, because people will say whatever they want. doesn't matter what I say. So it was it was a little bit hard, and it took a lot of time before I, I found the... the the courage or felt comfortable enough to bring it up. And we were able to talk about it once. And it was a very difficult conversation for him. And, you know, I had to, to, uh, you know, really convey that, you know, that was his chance. That's what he would leave behind about the whole subject, you know, because if he did not, that's like telling everyone that you were guilty. So, uh, that's the only time he cried when, when we had the interviews, uh, because for him, I mean, it was almost like his wrestling dream dying at that point because he, he was sure that he was never going to be brought back. Yes. Uh, and, and, and he, he decided to quit, uh, out of loyalty to the company and to Vince. And because he had swear to Vince senior on his deathbed that he would take care of his son for him. Uh, so he felt that that was the only way to do it. Okay, but Vince was very loyal to Pat as well, and and they did hire a company uh, to uh, an outside company uh, to to run an investigation within the company and talk to everyone, and they cleared Pat of any wrongdoing. No one ever brought any charges to court, uh, and, and uh, the other person who had brought uh, allegation on Donahue was also proven later that to have lied uh, about. Uh, saying that he had been fired because he had refused a sexual advance by Pat, which was completely untrue. Uh, 
So we went through that, uh, and I believe what's in the book is how he felt. And, and WWE, that's the only other thing they mentioned in, in the notes, was that if Pat felt that that was his story, they were comfortable with it, as he, he would not name anyone else. And it it was the truth. So... Um, I was very happy with how it come off, and, and you know, almost now, almost a year. And by the time people are going to be listening, it's going to be a year since Pat's passing. I, I'm more proud that it's actually in the book. That's Pat's words. Um, and you know, when Pat passed away, um, I spoke with the New York Times for his uh, uh, obituary. Yes. And, you know, that's one of the first few things that they mentioned uh, as they were asking questions. And, you know, I was able to get them a copy of the book. And and I explained the whole story a little bit like I did there. And, you know, so by the end, when the it came out, there's no mention of the scandal and the arbitrary. So for me, it was a little bit of indication that what I told Pat was that, you know, if you don't say anything, they're going to lump it as guilty. And I believe that with time, you know, uh, you know, the, the truth's going to be coming up, coming up on top, uh, as they say in wrestling. Uh, and, and, you know, we're going to get far as far away from uh, that, uh, that, that story. And, and I'm not, you know, Pat is, was an 80 year old man. <laughs> so, you know, he had a crunchy humor. And often enough, because it was so difficult being gay, he was very jokey about it, and he wouldn't mind, you know, especially in the later years when kind of everybody knew he would kind of put a joke on the table right off the bat so that, you know, nobody had anything on him as he was controlling the narrative. So, you know, it probably a lot of those jokes would not go through today. But <laughs> everything back in perspective from being an 80 year old man or being in the nineties or being in the eighties, things were, were, were different. Uh, but you know, Pat was amazing. And, and in the end, I mean, uh, he never did anything wrong in the sense of sexual harassment or using his position, uh, to prevent people from working or anything like that. I mean, I grew up in the province of Quebec and if you knew, how many people I spoke to working in the wrestling business in Quebec who told stories on how they were prevented of working from WWE because they were not working on the same team as Pat Patterson. And obviously, I mean, it kind of, you don't know Pat Patterson and those guys, you know, they did the dark match there or they, they work at house show loop there or things like that. And you're like, well, I don't know. It's like the third or fourth or fifth guy that tells that story that, you know, they didn't make it because they were not gay. So you kind of wonder, you know. But then I met Pat Patterson, and I spoke with him. And, and those stories are obviously, I mean, he was the biggest crush, crutch for uh, people who didn't make it in wrestling for a long, long time. It was an easy way for people to explain why they never became star or never were signed by WWE. You know, they always blame the gay guy. 
Well, okay, it's and, lazy and it's easy. That's what it is. Yeah, and you know it makes for a good story at the bar with with other boys. But you know that's not the truth. And also, I mean, that's how things were. You know, we go back to how hard it was being gay. You know. So, you know, it was that hard, you know, that people would blame you for not getting married. So it's, uh, you know, it's uh, kind of very, very sad, you know, because it, it, and I'm so happy that the book and the work we did and the interviews he did for promoting the book and Legends House, it didn't fully turn around the tide completely, but I think you know, the tide is going in the right direction. And, and slowly but surely, we're, we're getting away from that story. And, and interview like today uh, are, are ultimately, you know, uh, will we'll, we'll turn the tide completely and the truth will be uh, discussed uh, accordingly in the future. There's a, a phrase you said in that statement, not statement, but our discussion there was how you were talking about you know, Pat, this is your time to say it because if you if you say nothing, they're gonna take it as you're guilty, and that's that's absolutely true. And uh, the way that it's it's written in the book, I can hear him in my head, I him being Pat Patterson, uh, saying it, and you can hear the the anger and the frustration, and you can feel it. Right, it's one of these phrases, uh, chapters, whatever. It's not a full chapter, naturally. I don't want to play it off like that, but it's one of these statements that literally jumps off the page, and you you can feel it, and it's palpable. And th that is something. And I appreciate your comment. That's something that I hope that uh, listeners of this program, when you go out into the, you know. Uh, wide world web if you will and you come across incorrect context and incorrect statements that you'll go out of your way to uh, bring up what it what actually had happened because it's going to take programs like us it's going to take authors like yourself books like the one that you had written with Pat to really finally you know put this thing to bed and the other thing it's going to take is for people to stop using this lazy, ignorant narrative of, you know, like you just said, Pat was gay and he held me back because I wouldn't blank. It's it's garbage. We all know it's garbage and it's lazy. And the sooner that, you know, whether it's wrestlers or quote unquote historians or others associated with wrestling or wrestling fans or people who will listen to this program who enjoy you know human interest stories the sooner that we can all move to this you know common goal of of really getting to the root cause of talking about an issue of exposing the truth and moving forward with that truth i think is, is going to benefit everybody Obviously, I mean, and, 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 and I'm, I'm really proud of that because it did change the narrative. Pat, not that he would not believe, but didn't think that it, it would made a, make a difference. 
and I believe it did. It did with the New York Times obituary. Um, so I feel, you know, that you know we're, we're going to be able to enlighten, uh, enlighten, you know, one people at a time reading the book and listening to 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 podcasts and interviews like this uh, to 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 go beyond those claims and those ad- original headlines. So as we kind of move out of the, and I'm sorry everybody at home that that was kind of a heavy subject, but it's something that really truly needed to be discussed. And and Bertrand, I very much thank you for for your comments on it. Um, as we look to wrap up this portion of the program, um, because again, I'm in Winnipeg. We're predominantly English speaking out here uh, in North America. The predominant fan base is English. So we only see Pat Patterson as, you know, his work in his, his work in Portland where he was a superstar, uh, or, you know, a lot of us are very familiar with what he did in the WWF. And then when he was with the Stooges thing, but for yourself, because obviously you have, you have both sides of the coin. You have the English perspective, which you're kind of inundated with because that's what's, put out there and portrayed but you also have the french canadian and and quebecois uh, perspective for yourself what do you think pat patterson's legacy is specifically in quebec and then more so just in montreal about his life and his legacy and just just pat patterson himself i mean because he was never the big star of the territory there's limited knowledge of, of what he is or what he was outside of the WWE fan base in Montreal. And, and, you know, that did change a little bit with the book. And when he passed away, you know, he got some, some coverage locally, but not to the level that he was in, in, in the industry. You know, he was one of the last giants of the industry, one of the last great mind, uh, if you will. And uh, locally, I mean, that's kind of, it's hard. It's it, it's like trying to explain to someone uh, uh, why a director or uh, is uh, a big star in China or something locally. It, you know, because locally he never reached that level. So on the WWE stage with the creation of the Royal Rumble and the boot camp match with Tarjan Slaughter and being the first Intercontinental Champion, you know. He, he's on the level like no others. And when you go behind the scene, you know, well, he was Vince right and man, and the WWE of today exists basically uh, because of Pat Patterson in a lot of ways. You know, he does deserve a lot of the credit uh, in helping and, and shaping the WWE and the, the, the product and the stars. And uh, so, it, it, but locally, I mean, there, there's a fond memories of, of his time on television from the people who knew it, and he's very well known by the WWE audience because uh, of how important Pat is to the lore of the WWE. But uh, obviously, in, he, he's not the legend uh, of a Johnny Rougeau or even Dino Bravo locally, who were the big star of the territories, or even Matt Dog Vachon. And because you know, for for one thing, Pat changed his name for an English name. Yeah, and, and star, a huge star outside of the Montreal wrestling territory. 
And I guess for yourself, when you when you were doing the writing for the book, what was uh, what was the story that kind of stuck out to you the most, or what what story did you maybe not know before that you got more information of, or what really stood out to you in terms of writing the book? Was there one one tale or one story that kind of stuck out to you of like this is tremendous? Well, I love the fact that Pat was attempting to be a showman way before he even fell in love with wrestling. Yes. Um, I, I love the fact that, you know, he was in love with someone and it lasted 40 years and they, they travel and move together. And, 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 you know, it was a very beautiful story and, and he did call him his friend. It was a story of friendship and love. You know, there, there was a lot of friendship between the two, the two men beyond love. So I think that's also a very important part of any relationship. You have to be friends. Um, and, you know, the, the, I think the, the biggest lesson I got as a wrestling fanatic myself is that there, there's more to life than wrestling. And, you know, you know, it, sometimes Pat would get tired. Uh, let's talk about something else. I don't want to talk about wrestling. <laughs> you always want to talk about wrestling. We can talk wrestling tomorrow. You know, so it was like the news uh, or whatever happened. You know, during the pandemic, I mean, he would call me on a regular basis just to talk and, and see. And he had idea when this is going to be over, we're going to be renting a big theater in Montreal and I'm going to do a singing show. I'm going to invite friends to come and sing and we're going to do it for charity. And he had always the plan about how do we get back on, on stage? And, and we did the the shows in England, uh, in the UK, when we did the promotion for the book. With That's the, right. And, and it was amazing. Uh, he loved it, being on stage, telling stories, and would finish the night singing My Way. Uh, I mean, he wanted to redo something like that, but in Montreal. You know, he always had plan and ideas. Uh, I don't think his health would have allowed it, but, you know, it made him so happy to talk about it, about, you know, creating a show. So that, that creating a show, being part of the show, that, that started very young. It went through all of his career. And at the end, that's all he could think about was to get back, find a way to get back on stage in front of people. And that to me is just, that kind of encapsulates uh, Pat Patterson as, as a man and what he kind of brought to the table just, he legitimately was the ultimate showman, whether it was in front of the camera or behind. Oh, sure. I mean, he, he, he wanted that. He, he lived for that. I remember in Scotland, first show, he was on such a high because, you know, oh, Pat, we're going to be doing, you know, a show on stage and we're going to sign an autograph and blah, blah, blah. How many people is there going to be, you know? In his head, he was going to draw 20 people. So, you know, <laughs> wow. But, it, you know, it's a pack house. It's a few hundred. And yeah. They're very, very vocal. And, you know, it's a big it's a success. And he's getting a big pop at the end and a big standing ovation. He loved it, you know. So we went for beers and food afterwards. He was on a high, you know. He, Are we doing one more? <laughs> you know. Uh, and, and that might have been the best night of the tour. So, you know, after that, you know, he didn't like 
all the, the other dates as much. Uh, however, the last night was very good as well. But it is what it is, you know. He loved that, and he kept talking about that trip all the time, and how it was fun, and he wanted to to recapture the first night. So that that was Pat, you know. He 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 just loved talking and and getting a pop and getting a reaction and getting the love from the people. Now, is there anything that we haven't covered in this episode that you would like to uh, get into before we wrap up tonight? talked about so much uh i was very fortunate that's how i skip to be able to tell his story and, and to call him a friend and uh to be able today to still tell the story tell the truth uh because he deserved it uh he was an amazing person amazing mind amazing job investing in this street and the positive needed to be highlighted uh, and someone needed to be uh, able to tell his story. So, you know, uh, he was my friend. Well, Bertrand, I have to thank you because, man, this has been just a tremendous conversation and, and something that I hope will uh, will continue well into the new year of 2022. Um Speaking of which, coming looking forward into the future of 2022, uh, what do you have um, on the back burner, if you will? Well, um, I mean, first, you know, if you don't have the book, it's called Accepted, How the First Gay Superstar Changed WWE from ECW Press. Uh, so please go, go get yourself a copy, get yourself an electronic copy if you cannot find a, a book copy. Uh, I'm very proud of that book. Um, I'm, I'm working right now in French for a French book uh, with Marc Blondin, who used to be a French announcer here for WWE, WCW, and uh, TNA in uh, the province of Quebec and in Europe. So it's a very small project. It's a fun project, learning to, to work with Mark and learn about his career. So that, that's going to be a, 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 a all fun project in 2022. Um, it's probably never going to be translated, but you know, that's what I'm doing right now. Uh, and after that, you know, each project has the magic of leading us to another. So Panda is working on a hockey book right now. I'm, I'm working on that small book, uh, on wrestling on the side. The Andrew of the giant book, as I mentioned, is going on a second printing in a, a different format on trade, trade paperback. So we're really proud and happy about that. So once again, I mean, if you were hesitant, uh, to get the hard covered because of the price tag. This one is much more affordable. Um, and the content is the same. Um, it, it had got amazing review, very humbling review. So, you know, that, that be my, uh, it's also an audio book for people who don't like to read. So, I mean, really go for it. Uh, we're really proud of that. Uh, bringing Andre's stories to life, uh, you know, putting a, fiction and the stories and the, the truth uh, once again in the very different light in the life of in, in, in the life of Andrew it's I, I think it was very important that 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 work be done um, so except for that I mean I'm uh, I'm not doing much else it's a lot of work to begin with but I'll, hopefully you know there'll be more projects and you know those those remain passion projects they, they nothing we do with those books you know I like I like the saying, you know, they're, they're, they're no Harry Potter's books. 
uh, as far as sales go. Uh, they, they do okay. The Under the Giant did really well. But, uh, you know, uh, it's not sufficient to do just that or and be able to, to turn out uh, multiple projects. But obviously, you know, they, they all work of love. And, you know, uh, we wish all wrestling fans uh, will give it a shot and, and, and try and discover the, the magnificent stories of all those incredible characters. And naturally, we look forward to a return of yourself on this program in 2022. Hopefully, we have something on the docket that will pique your interest, and we can have you back as well again to have another discussion. Of course, of course, you know, uh, more than happy to talk wrestling. Well, well Bertrand, you've been honestly so good to me, and, and uh, I wish yourself and your family all the best in, in the new year. And I cannot wait to see what happens in uh, in the next year and the next coming years as well for you as well. Perfect. Thank you. Hey, maybe something to, to close up. My, my son started wrestling. Oh, okay. Tell us about that quick. And, 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 you know, when he was training, you know, we talk about that with Pat a lot. And, and you know, uh, my son had the idea to... Uh, do a little bit of an homage for him because you know a bear is not really a, a good name English so, <laughs> so uh, he decided uh, as an homage uh, to, to Pat to call himself Zach Patterson Wow so from uh, he's been doing really well on the indie scene here in Quebec and you know he's had been training for two years he's been hitting the gym for five or six years and he's doing very well and he's uh, I believe making Pat very proud. Uh, as Pat had peeked in along the way and, you know, said, yeah, he can do whatever he wants, you know, he's a good-looking kid. So <laughs> hopefully, you know, he'll be able to uh, leave something and, and get the Patterson name out there one more time. That's, That's tremendous. Oh, so I feel very proud about the work he's put in to, to go where he is. And it's kind of, for me, very special that he has the Patterson name for now uh, as uh, his calling card. Uh, you know, Pat's brothers have come and see him wrestle, and they want him. They want us to send them the matches, and they're very proud that uh, someone is keeping the Patterson name out there. Well, Zach, we look forward to big things from you as well in the future. That's that's fantastic. I had no idea. So, that, that's a little story to to uh, feel goes feel good story to finish uh, the show awesome i love it hey, bertrand thank you again so much for your time tonight thank you and have a great day and a great holidays and you know thank you pat before we finish up for this evening and for the season finale of grappling with canada i have a few things that i want to discuss First off, I have to give a plethora of thanks to many fine individuals who were guests throughout the 12 episodes of this season of Grappling with Canada. So, thank you very much, Ashley Rosenova, Hotshot Danny Duggan, Heath McCoy, Pat LaPrade, Alicia Bikaki, Steve Verrier, AC from Maple Leaf Wrestling, Greg Oliver, Mr. Billy Two Rivers, Nathan Hatton, Bo James, Dr. Mike Leno, Iad, Cowboy Dan Crawford, Trent Zaberry, Javier Oist, and obviously my guest for this evening, Bertrand Ebert. Thank you, thank you, thank you everybody for making this 
program as successful as it was. And thank you all very much for allowing me to pick your brains and some of you on multiple shows and some of you through multiple, multiple, multiple emails as we kind of progressed throughout this first season of Grappling with Canada. So once again, thank each and every one of you for being a part of the program and I look forward to seeing uh, a few new working relationships in the year 2022. Also, for Season 2, if you are listening to this program on one of the various podcasting feeds, keep it locked right here. In about two weeks, I'm going to be releasing a teaser trailer regarding Season 2, something I've never actually done before. So I'm really looking forward to that. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, for those who are able to read between the lines, if you will, it's going to be uh, it's going to be quite a lot of fun. And I'm looking forward to season two because we're going to go even more in depth in some of the individuals that we're cover- covering, and we are also going to be doing my first uh, two-part episode because uh, one of the individuals that we will be discussing. Couldn't fit it all into one episode. It, w- it would have been one standalone, probably eight-hour episode. So rather than that, uh, that's going to be our very first two-part episode. And honestly, I'm I'm really looking forward to that one and everything else that we have coming for you guys in season two. But as we look to wrap up season one, like I said, I have some tremendous five-star reviews that I need to uh, touch on as well as. I had a fantastic note uh, left to me on uh, Facebook from the Canadian Wrestling Archive, and they said, "Uh, We'd love to take this opportunity to plug one of our current favorite podcasts, Grappling with Canada. We know a lot of people call every podcast, quote, their favorite podcast when they're plugging it, but we really mean it. They do in-depth discussions about the lives and careers of prominent Canadian wrestlers and release a new podcast every month on all their platforms, with episodes on Gama Singh and the Karachi Vice, Stu Hart, Archie Goldie, and Gail Kim already. It's a great program with a lot of immediate depth for you to dive in. The latest episode at the time of that uh, they had heard was our previous episode was on the legendary Rhonda Singh, the Calgarian-born Mildred Burke-trained monster ripper of AJW fame. Uh, Thank you guys very much over at uh, Canadian Wrestling Archive, and uh, looking forward to seeing what you guys do in the near future. I understand that you guys procured quite a few tape libraries, so I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what you guys have in the near future for us. Not just Canadian wrestling fans, but uh, wrestling fans as well. Also, we had some five-star reviews that were left on Good Pods. In regards to the aforementioned Rod Singh episode, uh, one from Jacob, he left five-star review. He says, I learned something new with every episode. Tremendous. And we also had a five-star review from BC Hunter. He says, as always, the taxman comes through with a thoroughly researched episode and I walk away feeling much more educated on the life and career of Rhonda Singh. Thank you guys very much for those five-star reviews. Like I said at the top of the program, if you guys are so kind as to leave us a five-star written review, then I am very much inclined to read those on the next available podcast. 
And also, one thing that I wanted to mention that I haven't got to yet is the thanks that I want to give to a few programs that had allowed me to be a guest on their uh, podcast earlier this year. So all the way back around the start of the year, I was very fortunate to be a guest on Just Because Wrestling. Uh, you can find them on Twitter, JB Wrestling 1991 uh, We had talked some Impact Wrestling and obviously where we were going with Grappling Canada at that time. Uh, I was also fortunate to be on the Total Nonstop Impact podcast. I joined them uh, in the springtime of this year, and that was a lot of fun as well. A shout out to Trent Zaberry and all the crew over there. I was very fortunate to be a guest on the Sunday Night Army with the wonderful Jacob. And once again, if anybody out there in podcast line is looking for quick hitter episodes uh, covering some fantastic music artists, uh, some entertainment news, news, I guess you could use, <laughs> and uh, other fun things, uh, definitely want to check out the Sunday Night Army on Twitter or all your usual social media platforms, as well as I was also a guest on the November to Remember series for Wrestling With The Truth podcast. They had me on. We talked some classic Canadian professional wrestling. Uh, I was able to uh, school a little bit uh, the nightmare Jay Myers on that program. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, shout out to them because uh, they've been very nice to me. And uh, it was a lot of fun doing that program. And I'm looking forward to seeing what we can do as a tandem in the future. Stay tuned. Season 2 is upon us. So... For myself, the tax man, for my wonderful host Bertrand Baron Bertrand, if you're listening, uh, wow! I just I can't say enough about uh, about what we were able to uncover for this episode regarding Pat Patterson. It was truly eye-opening for me, and I honestly hope that everybody sitting at home has a deeper appreciation for the man Pat Patterson, but as well. Uh, understands a little bit more about the misreported and misrepresentation or misrepresented. Listen to me talk. You can tell we're closing up season one, folks. Uh, aspects of uh, Pat Patterson's lives. So I hope that uh, you will take that information with you moving forward. Uh, if you if you uh, see those who need to be enlightened, if you will, uh, that you'll pass that information on. Because that's really what it's all about. For all of us to learn something new and uh, and further deepen our, our respect and knowledge for not just Canadian history, not just Canadian professional wrestling history, uh, but really world history and the history of these individuals and their stories that we're covering each and every month. So... For myself, the taxman, for each and every guest that I've had on throughout this incredible first year of Grappling with Canada, to all the guests that I'm going to be working with in the near future for Season 2 of Grappling with Canada, I will leave you partly, as I always do, by asking that you take care of yourselves and each other. More importantly, I wish every single one of you all the best in 2022 uh, please enjoy the holidays whatever you celebrate if you don't celebrate anything specifically at this time of year hey at least get together with some friends and family that's really what this time of year is all about i'm going to leave you honestly the only way that i think i can and that is with pat patterson singing my way and if you look throughout the chapters of the pat patterson book 
you will see the lyrics of his favorite song adorned on the chapter headings for each uh, section of the book. And I think that that is absolutely the most perfect way that I could possibly leave everybody uh, this night and obviously to wrap up season one of Grappling with Canada. So for myself, like I said, the tax man, what more can I say? Take it away, Pat. Good night, everyone. I love this song. <laughs> now, dear is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case. Always uncertain. Yeah.